Reverend Wanyu Andarge. I'm the president of North Central Ethiopian Synod, Mechanics uh, Church, which we are working in the northern part of Ethiopia. Within these three days, we had a very wonderful and fruitful time with the people who have been sent with engaging with Jubilee Fellowship and Global uh, Call Ministry. So I would like to thank you, 300 uh, plus ministers from different um, denominations has been gathering within these three days and we had some wonderful, fruitful time. So we would like to thank you, God bless you. This is so appreciated. We, are, we have been lifted up and have been refreshing and restoring. If you weren't here and don't know what that was, um, I just, uh, Jonathan Murley happened to introduce me to this pastor from the Sudan who's connected with another family in our church that we know well. So we try to do things through relationship. And the guy was telling me that they minister in South Sudan and in Egypt and several different places in that part of Africa. And that since the pandemic, they've had, I believe it was 27 uh, of their pastors martyred um, for their faith. And he, he just brought up, you can imagine the difficulty that it's been for people in that area. And then he said, you know, we have started 9,000 churches. And I, I shared this with you. I don't know if you remember. I'm just like, I've heard that so many times. What constitutes a church? Is it, you know, a guy with a Bible? And that's, that's a church. Because sometimes it's not a lot of things they'll use to qualify that. And this is what he told me. This is, makes a church. You have to have 25 believers that have been people that have been converted and baptized. You have to have five leaders, and then you have to have the pastor and a place where they meet. And he said, of the 9,000 we've started, the largest one is now 15,000 people, is what he said. So I, you know, sometimes you hear those things and you don't realize you're talking to, this is a giant of the faith, to be honest with you, right? All of a sudden, I'm like, Brother, touch me and pray for me right now, man. I, I need that. I'm just listening to his heart. I knew that the Lord had told me, um, you know, come alongside of him and help him. So I, I, my question was, what do you need? Eliu, what do you need? And he said, we would like to do a pastor's conference to try to pull all of these guys together to do ministry to them. So now, you know, my brain gets stuck first world and third world sometimes. So I'm thinking a pastor's conference for 300 pastors He's going to need a half million dollars. And he said, we can do this for about $12,000, right, U.S. And I, my, so my first thought was just, let's write in the check right now. But I felt like the Lord said, bring it to the church. Let the church be a part of this. Let the church hear this um, and do this. And you gave $18,000 just instantly to minister to, um, to that. And so we gave the money to him. You'll remember we had him come here. And we gave the money uh, to him in front of you. I asked for his permission to be able to, to do that. Not all are willing to stand up and do that in front of everybody. But he was. Church, I, I just wanted to show you the, the completed part of it. So often, we hear of a project. We know things are going on. But I wanted to thank you for the generosity. And I want to thank you for meeting that need. It literally, you know, when we do things like that, it seems removed from us. It seems far away. But I want you to know... The Bible tells us that the Lord keeps excellent records. I'm paraphrasing just a little bit, but he never forgets the hard work that you do for his people and the kindness that you show them. 
And while we get to clap and applaud and feel good about it right now, let me tell you when it really pays off, when we stand in heaven and the Lord says, hey, uh, let me show you who's here because of you. Yes or no, that will make all the difference in the world right there. It's a joyful thing. So, uh, well done. One other thing that I I wanted to um, just to bring up, last week at the end of the message, I had shared on where we were at financially. If you weren't here, I'll just, um, I'll reprise it real quickly. Over the last year, finances have turned down, the giving in particular. Now, in the meantime, we built a building, we made it through covid We've navigated so many different things, but the giving started to turn down about a year ago. And while I had taught on that and had said things, and we had savings too, thank God for savings, yes? Um, You know, we really had come to the end of our savings, so I just stood up and I just said, folks, this, it just can't go on like this. We really are faced with uh, what will be a crisis in March if we don't turn this around. So first, let me say to you, um, I had asked for three things. One, if you're struggling financially, we want to pray for you because I get that, and I don't want anybody to feel bad about that, right? That's never where my heart is at. So we did pray for some people. I waited down here and actually prayed for a few families last week. Then I asked for those that were able to do one-time gifts right now, uh, if you could do that, that would be very helpful. Um, the offering was three times what it normally is last week. So thank you for, for it was $130,000 was the tithe last week. So it was tremendous. But, um, you know, that's like um, you can't have one weekend of rain and then turn it all around, right? So I, I want to still encourage you, continue please to be faithful. The third thing that I asked for was people, maybe you attend Jubilee you're not a giver yet. Maybe you're new. Maybe you just haven't felt like there was a need. I had one family share with me last week, and I don't, part of me felt good about this. Part of me felt like maybe I'm not communicating effectively, but a a family shared with us last week. They said, Pastor, when we look around, we don't see a need. And they said, in particular, so we came to the Rita Springer thing on Friday night, and you did it with such excellence that there doesn't seem to be a need in the church, and you don't talk about it much. Are you thankful that I don't? Like, so this is your first week, and you're like, all you've done is talk about money so far, <laughs> pastor. Um, so I'm torn between, I, I never want to, I mean, do you present a poor boy so that people think there's a need, or do you do everything in excellence the way that you're supposed to, operate the way you're supposed to, and then if you run into something, be honest and just say, here's where, do you agree with that philosophy right there? And I know just people would say, well, that, I don't believe that's the way to handle it. So maybe you would pastor better than, than I would. I don't mean that ugly. Maybe you would. I'm doing the best that I know how to do. Guys, I'm doing the very best that I know how to do. And so just, I, I want to thank you for your response last week. I want to encourage you that it will, it needs to stay like that and be a part of that. And if you're not a giver here at Jubilee, we need you. Pastor David, it was... How many new families last last week? Do you remember what the... I don't mean to... Yeah. 15 new families. Yeah, it made such a tremendous difference that had just suddenly become a part of the church. Just want to encourage you with that. Want to thank you for your faithfulness with it. And I needed to correct one thing too. Part of what I shared last week was that I had met with a family, a leading family in our church, and it just shared what was in my heart. I wanted them to hear what I was thinking about sharing with you, and I wanted their advice on it. I, didn't, I wasn't asking other pastors. I was asking a family in the church, how does this sound? How are you hearing what I'm saying? What, uh, what they had said to me, what he said to me was, 
uh, John, the Lord had already been moving in our hearts, so this is a confirmation, which I had many people last week who, who told me the same thing. But here's the way I said it last week. Um, I said that he showed me his calendar, and he said, on here, we want to show you that the Lord had already moved, and we're giving some money on this date. Um, he said, Pastor, please say it this way, that money we had pledged to give, the Lord had put in our heart to give on that day right there. With finances, you may think, what's the difference? With finances, it's important that 100% of everything that's said is exactly the way that it's supposed to be. Does that make, does that make sense? All we have is credibility. That literally is all we have when I stand up here is that I have belief that what I'm telling you is the truth. So he had said to me, I, I just, it, it, would you correct that? So I'm correct. And if you're just like, Pastor, I'm not, I don't get it. I'm not saying it then for your benefit. I'm saying it for their benefit. They matter to me. And bottom line, anything that I say about finances has to always be 100% on the nose. You agree with that right there? Okay. So thank you for that. Three ways that you can give here uh, at Jubilee. You can do it online. You can do it through the app. And you can use the offering boxes. I did have somebody write me a note and said, maybe you should start passing uh, buckets again. I will never pass the chicken buckets. Um, that just is not, I, I understand why it can, but if you give because you see a bucket, something went terribly wrong in how we do what we do with, uh, with finances. So Lord, thank you for the response to this. Lord, giving is holy, and what we do with it here, it matters, Lord. So thank you for the folks, Lord, who participate in that, ones who have always been faithful, ones who now are a part of it, the ones who are struggling, Lord God, in their own finances. Would you open the windows of heaven and would you pour out a blessing on them? Would you help yes. them? Lord, sometimes giving is that way that you choose to break things in our life that the enemy has, has supplanted, Lord. And so we ask for your will, your purpose, and your strategy to be done in our lives. Yes. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And if you agree, would you say amen? amen? Okay. We're in a series called Better Together, second week of it. We're talking about relationships in particular. We're going to go deeper into uh, the marriage relationship this weekend. Uh, last weekend, we started talking about five key ways to energize your marriage. We only got through a couple of them to tonight and tomorrow. Honestly, I'll only get through uh, two of them too. I'm trying to be cognizant of how much information not to overload it and not just to finish it because I have the points. Now, um, what I do in preparation for all messages, I'm always gathering material, all different kinds of material. Some of it's things that I read, some of it's messages that I hear, some of it's things that people give to me, some of it's the examples and illustrations that I've personally gone through or know people that have gone through them. Some of them are funny things that are sent to me. Do you mind a little bit of humor at the beginning of this message? Now, here, here's what Saturday night is compared to Sunday. Saturday night gives me the chance to work out the things. <laughs> that don't make it over till Sunday. Now, some people like Saturday because they say you're just, you're, you're not as, you're just raw on Saturday. You just go for it and then you can polish it up on Sunday. Some people like that. So these are cartoons that were sent to me. Now, I, look, I get all sorts of cartoons. JJ and I, we, we send cartoons back and forth to each other all the time. Jay's an artist and does cartoons and he's really good at it, right? So he'll send me uh, his different cartoons, and I will send him ones that I think are funny. But here's just the truth. How many of you know that humor, it, it's like beauty? It's in the eye of the beholder. You agree with that? 
with that. So sometimes I think things are so funny and I laugh and laugh up here. And then I notice nobody else is laughing with me on these things. So these may not make it till tomorrow. So this is non sequitur. Non sequitur is a comic that um, the guy's humor is very funny. I enjoy it. And so these were um, six cartoons that he did on communication. What, what, what she hears versus what you said, what he hears versus what you said. So we'll do a couple of these and see if you think they're funny or not. So I, I needed to uh, have them write it down because they said I'll have trouble trying to read it. So pull the first one up. Okay, so it's why we'll never under... I can read this just... Do you guys think I'm that bad? <laughs> Jeff, that wasn't... <laughs> why we never understand each other. What he heard. Uh, you're way too stupid to be trusted driving alone in bad weather. What she actually said, drive carefully, dear. <laughs> See, you do. You like... All right, here's another one. It gets better. Um, uh, what she heard. Uh, you don't expect me to take care of the kids, clean the house, and make you dinner. Do you? What he said, feeling any better, honey? <laughs> okay, uh, next one. Um, what she heard, it's your lot in life to stop whatever it is you're doing in order to serve my every need. What he actually said, honey, do you know if we have any more AAA batteries in the house? <laughs> okay, next one. Um, what she heard, life as we know it will cease to exist unless you can alter the space-time continuum. What he actually said, honey, uh, are you almost ready? Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Okay. What he heard, I'm going to make you wish you were dead for the rest of the week. Uh, what she said, tell me the truth. Do I look fat in this? Yes. <laughs> Okay, what she heard, anything less than absolute perfection makes you another failure as a wife and mother. What he said, mom is coming over for dinner. <laughs> Woohoo, yes. I know, that's only funny because we know people like that, not us personally. Okay, uh, five keys to energize your marriage. What I said last week, if you didn't hear last week, would encourage you, everything that we teach is always on the website, it's always free. You can download it, you can share it, go back and hear it if you didn't hear it, because part of what I'm doing is building where we're going. And the points are not just random, they actually fit one on top of each other. And in this case, the very first one is seek God together, Ephesians 6, right? Um, uh, excuse me, um, um, Matthew 6 is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added unto you. And so often, we want all of the things added to us first, and then we'll put the relationship with God after. And the truth of the matter is, God answers that. Seek first. Give him the first part. He is a God who is worthy of the best, the first, the, the, the most. Amen. And if he's not like that to you, then I would, why are you serving him? Why bow the knee to him if he's not the most? And if you're seeking, I get it. If you're exploring that, I understand. But if you're a Christ follower, God deserves the best that we have to offer. And when we give him that first part, he promises, I'll add all of the other unto you. So you're seeking God together. And we talked about what that meant. You're not looking for your number one. You're looking for your number two.
All right, the second one was have fun together. And that seems, Pastor, spiritually, is that important? I would say to you, so many couples, when they're dating, when they're pursuing, when they're courting, whatever word you want right there, they know how to have fun together. And one of the things that attracts you to each other is that you like to have fun together. And then you get married and life kicks in, yes or no? It's like when you go someplace on a vacation, the people that work there don't get the same experience you do because they're not there on a vacation, right? People tell me all the time, do you just like stop and look at the mountains and thank God every time? The truth of the matter is many days I forget they're even there. Marriage can be like that, that at first you recognize and you see the value of and you praise the value of it. But once you get married, you can fall into the trap It's a habit, a bad habit of simply ignoring the thing that you work so hard to achieve, the thing that meant so much to you. So people say, I can't afford to have fun. You can't afford not to have fun with each other. It will cost you on the backside of it. And I'm going to say this one more time, over and over and over. I I think if I were to write a book of of Pastor John-isms that I've said for 25 years, one of them is, you've got to go this way, John, You have to go this way from your heart to God before you can go from your heart to people. Most of us try to relate this way first and then think we can get, if you don't get it this way, you have no ability to go this way. And I'll talk about that in just a minute, right? But just hear me on this. The whole having fun thing together and finding the priority for it, it is spiritual. I showed you a scripture. The Bible says, enjoy your wife. Thank you. You get to. (laughs) May the Lord bless you supernaturally with that. May the rest of us be envious of the fun that you are having in your marriage. Have fun with your wife. Enjoy your wife. Wives, enjoy your husbands. You should enjoy that relationship. You're not surviving it. You're not just trying to make it through. The goal is to be married for a long time, but not just for longevity's sake, because you're passionately in love with each other, devoted to each other, you care for each other. And can you go the distance and feel that way? I can only speak up to almost 40 years. Yes! And for those that have gone longer than 40 years, who would agree, is it true? Rich, is it true? Deb, it's true. Nancy, Larry, it's true. Do you agree with that? It, It is true that you can enjoy it and be passionately in love with each other. Dan, I looked down there and forgot your name for a second. Dan and Deb. Dan and what's his name? They enjoy. Sorry, bro. Okay. So let me jump in and and we'll hit uh, three and four. Five, I'm going to do um, when we start the Wednesday night uh, over here. And next week we're announcing that, right, honey? It'll it'll go up next week. So we'll announce... um, both financial peace and we'll announce uh, the two additional Wednesday nights that we'll do that allow people to ask questions and we'll go into uh, a little bit further details. I'll talk about it next week. Okay, so here's the third one. If you're taking notes, five uh, keys to energize your marriage, see God together, have fun together. Two, fight right. Fight right. Uh, Last week I said fight fair, but I changed it because there's a right and a wrong way. So if you fight in your marriage, what does that make you? Human, that's good. Normal is what I heard. You're normal. Thank you for that. Huge. Like, Pastor, I need you to cure that. There is no cure for it. It is two people who are learning, still learning, how to die to yourself and live 
for what God wants. And that always comes, it gets easier, sometimes it's better, but I know, listen man, to die to yourself, to die to your flesh, it is not easy. I tell people all the time, (laughs) if you wanna learn how to continue to be selfish, don't get married. (laughs) Marriage requires you to sacrifice yourself. Thank you, Eric. (laughs) Marriage requires you to sacrifice yourself. Rachel, requires you to sacrifice yourself. You're laying down your life for another person. No, no. They make me feel good. (laughs) We'll talk about that. Ephesians 5.33. So Ephesians 5, when I do a wedding, I use Ephesians 5 because it's God's blueprint for what a marriage should look like. Why do we want to bring God's blueprint into it? Listen, God's the creator of marriage. It's the author of marriage. Marriage is not something that the world has given us. So we live today where people say, what difference does it make to be married or not? It's some tradition of man. It's some piece of paper. It is not a piece of paper. It's not a tradition of man. God is the originator, the creator, and the gift giver of marriage. So that when you get married, you're not doing it in front of a man. You're doing it in front of God. We used to say what the Lord has joined together. Don't let men come and put asunder. Tear it apart. God is bringing you together. Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes says that he's actually the third cord that wraps around you. That three actually are better than one or two. Three. It's God wrapped around you. He's making you one flesh. He's doing something far more powerful than just some commitment that you make in front of a judge or a pastor. You're not just signing some certificate that uh, legally... Uh, allows you to say, hey, we're joining our finances or we're joining our lives together. You're doing it in front of God. Yes. And it's important and it still matters. So by the way, I, just think of this. I'm simple. One plus one equals two. If it's God's ordinance, if marriage is God's ordinance, and you're doing it in front of the Lord, then when you say, God, bless me, in effect, what you're saying is, God, I'll do it your way to get your blessing. You can't do it your way to get God's blessing. Flesh doesn't turn into spirit, right? Spirit is spirit. You want to do it God's way because you want his blessing, and it's worth doing it his way. So Ephesians 5.33, Paul, talking to the husband and the wife, brings this out. So I'm going to read it in NIV and NLT. NIV is, however, each one of you, the context is husbands and wives, not just people that go to church together. However, each one of you, husbands and wives, also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. He's giving direct advice. Now look at it out of the NLT, because the emphatic is is what I want you to see. So again, I say each man, what's that word? One more time. Must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You must do this. If you want it to work, if you want it to come together, if you want to see God's blessing on it, you must do these. These are not optional. You can't do it when you feel like it. You can't do it because like, okay, at this moment, I I, want to respect you. At this moment, I want to love you. Do this because God says you do this and you're building it the right way. So let me talk about this. Love your wives, husbands, love your wives like Jesus loves you. And like you love yourself. So let's talk about this real quickly. How does Jesus love us? He loves us unconditionally. Unconditionally. Now we'll say this. You can get a definition for unconditional love. 
But there's a scripture in Ephesians that says, uh, Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus and he says this. We actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I wish that you could come to know the love of Christ, how deep, how wide, how high, how long. I wish you could come to know this great love which surpasses what? Not, how do you know something that goes beyond knowledge? And we talked about this. Not all things are known by definition in your brain. Some things are known because you experience them. Correct? So if I said to you, like, just describe, you've never gone fast. Or you, you've got a friend that's never gone fast. How would you, what would you tell? Well, it's like when you're, and your, your eye and your hair, and what would you, you would say, get in the car. Yep. Right? Depending on what kind of car you had. It was get in the car, I'm going to show you what fast, because fast can only be experienced, it can't be explained fully. Do you agree with that statement? So when I talk to you about unconditional love, I can give you a definition. But a definition is not enough to understand it, and more importantly, listen to this, a definition is not enough for you to be able to give it. So follow me on this. Love your wives like Jesus loved you. You must do this. You must love them unconditionally. So listen to what I'm going to say, because this is going to sound harsh. No man in this room has that love inside of them naturally. You do not have it. You may want to have it. You may desire to love someone that man. It may be your deepest, I want to be able to give this to you. But if you, you can't give what you don't have. That's simple. You cannot give what you don't. So I tell people all the time, want to be a great husband? Love Jesus. And people will, so what I'm really saying is, you can't be a great husband fully unless you love Jesus. Because you may be trying, this would go to any person in this room, and I mean no offense to you, but if you do not know Jesus, listen to me for a moment. I'm not saying you're not trying to love. I'm not saying it's not in your heart to love. I'm not saying that you're not doing the best job you, you can do. But I'm telling you, unless you have it in your heart first, unless you've experienced unconditional love, and the only place in the universe you can experience unconditional love is in a relationship with God first. So when I make the statement, you've got to go this way from your heart, Right? In order to go this way with humanity, I can't love you correctly until I'm loved by God this way because I have no definition in experience for what unconditional love is. Does that make any... Does it... So that everything... Last week, the Lord told me, last week, when you end this message, give an altar call. Were you here last week and you saw that? I'm not exactly sure how many... Because we don't count that way. We don't count hands. We count how many people actually go and pick up the books. But I know we had over 60 people raise their hand for salvation last weekend in a marriage message. So how does that happen? Because I think the reality, what I said was, if you're here with the interest in your marriage, maybe you're trying to save it, or maybe you want to do good, but you recognize that you're trying to do it on your own. You cannot love another person correctly unless you're receiving this love first. 
So if you don't know God, you're doing the best that you can. And I mean no offense to you, but you do not know what unconditional love is until you experience unconditional love. You can't give $100 to someone unless you have $100 to give. Do you agree with the statement? It truly is like that. And so it's offensive because people are like, I'm trying so hard. I, I don't doubt it. I do not doubt it. It, it's the height of frustration has to be to want to give something to somebody that is not within your ability to give them, especially if you want, I want to give this to you. But if you don't have it to give, you can't. So my, it has to start with God. So husbands, you must love Chris. You must love her like Jesus loves you unconditionally. So let, let, unconditional love. Unconditional love, Rich, unconditional love is not Here's most of us love, I love it, I love you if. Or, yes, I love you because. That's perfect. Or I love you when. Yes? So, and I, the words sound so romantic, but they're, they're not. Because it's in admitting, I, I love you when you're nice to me. I love it when you cook for me. And that day doesn't exist anymore, hardly. I love it. <laughs> I better be careful. Okay. <laughs> Even the congregation's like, hey, back, back down. It's not too late to back up from it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I love it. So it all is based on, right? It's based on conditions. That's natural love. Supernatural love. Here's how God loved you. He loved you while you were still a sinner. He loved you before you ever knew who he was. So we use the terminology, I found God. <laughs> My friend, it didn't cross your radar to look for God. You weren't smart enough. And you weren't on the hunt for God. Anything that you did with God is because God got your attention through his grace and mercy. He pursued you. We turn it around. I get what we're saying. Like, oh yeah, I, I, I responded to him. You, or I, I found, you didn't find him. You weren't looking. He did it. He, he's the initiator. Unconditional love is that while a person doesn't even know you exist or care if you exist, that person laid down their life for you. See, it's a love that even when I say it, even if you're a believer, that love is hard to understand because it's not love from the natural realm but from the supernatural realm. That makes sense. And so I'm telling you, man, the great thing, like people that walk away from the Lord, my question is, did they ever really know the Lord? Not did they not, were they told about the Lord? Were they told what Jesus did? did they, can they give you a definition of what it means to, you know, for, for salvation. They can give you a definition, but did they experience that love in their heart? Because if you experience true, unconditional love, you cannot walk away from it. Thank you for that huge, powerful, like knock me down. Maybe it's an indictment. Even before the start of the service, I was praying with, with the worship team and, and the people that run sound and cameras and get everything ready for you behind the scenes, right? 
was praying, the last thing we want is just to make people smarter. We want you to experience this love. This love. Kathy ministered on revival. Do you want to know what real revival is? It's people that experience so much of that love, they just can't. It's like nothing else is more important. It's like this outpouring of this. It's not an emotion, by the way, either. This emotion won't get you through two or three meals. It's a reality of a different reality. And so I, I know I say these words and in my heart I'm so convinced that I'm making sense. But I know if I'm talking to people that unless you've experienced it, it even me at my most eloquent, it's not enough. It must be experienced to be understood. And then once experienced it, then the delight is to be able to give it away to other people. Amen. To love well. They'll know you're my disciples by how you pick it vote I have so many people get mad at me when I do this on I get how important it is but by how you love and so we think that that is some earthly thing could you imagine a world that is so mixed up on what love is and who they are that if we loved that way I mean, the great thing is trying to figure out how to love people who are so different than we are. Well, if they just became like us, we could love them. Aren't you glad God didn't say, when you become like me, I will love you? Does anybody get what I'm... Okay, I'll move. So you must love your wives like Jesus loved you, and you must love your wives like you love yourself. So I was trying to think of a great definition and I could only think of it like in my life, how this would apply. So I think that when you love your wife like you love yourself, I think we love ourselves preferentially. I think we give ourselves preference. Now, here, and what I'm, we give ourselves a break. It's like when I'm driving and I don't use my signal, it's because I have so many things going on in my mind. <laughs> I am so busy and so weighed down. And I have so much going on that surely everybody else around me can understand I don't have time to use my signal. If I did, I would. <laughs> but when somebody else does it, oh my goodness. You idiot. You shouldn't be driving. The stupidest people that drive live on my street. <laughs> now you're laughing. Does anybody else get you can give yourself an easy break, but you are so quick to judge everybody else who does exactly what you do. If I'm in a line and it takes me extra time, it's because I'm trying to make sure nobody's ripping me off. When somebody else does it, it's because they have nothing else to do with their lives, so they're trying to infect my life too. And we're laughing, but listen, I give myself a break all the time. When I get mad, it's justified. Somebody else gets mad, they need to grow up. Anybody? This will work better on Sunday. This is one of the things I'll, I'll keep. All right, so listen. Preferentially means to prefer someone, to show partiality, to be more favorably. I treat myself that way. I'm more partial to myself. I'm more understanding with myself. But unless I'm doing that with my wife, 
And here's the funny thing, man. I can do the same thing she does. And in my mind, when I did it, it was justified. But when she does it, for some reason, it's so offensive to me. And unless you're loving that way, Hmm. Let's talk about husbands real quick. Wives to husbands. You must respect your husband. Why doesn't it say you must love your husband? And I've taught this over the years, so this is not new information. But it seems like this is one of those things that people struggle understanding. So Paul literally is giving away a blueprint for how to make it easier between the two of you. Love her unconditionally. Love her like you love yourself. Just realize what you do for yourself. And then you must do this for her too. And wives, with your husbands, you must, say that word with me, you must respect your husband. Why? Because your husband receives love or experiences love through respect. Men, wars are fought over a lack of respect. Yes or no? Go back in any war in history and you will find a disrespect that happened somewhere in the middle of it. Sometimes minor, sometimes major, but even today, people will shoot each other over a perceived lack of respect or disrespect. Yes or no? And husbands and wives can fight over this identity right here. So here's, somehow we have learned this language. When you act respectable, I will respect you. Act respectable, and I will respect you. It's the equivalent. Listen to the words. When you act like you're worthy to be loved, then I will love you. What would you say to that, lady? You would say, don't bother. Yes or no? Somehow we hold respect to be something. When you act respect, when you quit using that language, when you do what I want you to do, When you do it the way that I want you to do it, then I'll know you're being respectful and then I will respect you. And he's saying you must love unconditionally by respecting them even when in your mind they don't deserve respect. Yeah, woo. It's like you almost see my breath in here right now. It's either an exorcism or teaching on respect. One of the two. I'm not sure. I'll respect you when you earn it. It's the same as saying I'll love you when you earn it. Chris and I were talking this week. The kids, I'll embarrass my kids for a minute. I still give my kids Valentine's Day cards. No, it's not like that. It's just, I just... I love my family. And so we were talking about just how, how that started in our family. And when I share these things, I'm not, it's not humble brag. It's not, look at us. I believe that part, I say this the right way. I, being married 40 years, Like maybe the great achievement of my life will not be pastoring the church for 25 or 30 years. Maybe it'll be being married for 40 or 50 years. Right? Like that's, I didn't do anything better than that. 
and I raised five children, hundreds of grandchildren it seems like at this point. <laughs> and I love, I love, love, love. It's not always easy. I mean, what we do is just not easy, but it's like, so when I stand up and I talk about it, I'm not, bra I'm not trying to look down on anybody else. I feel like part of what the Lord wants me to do, I'm not just doing it for me, but I'm trying to show that in a world that says it's not worth it, that you'll get bored with one person over the long haul or that you can't stay passionate for a person. I'm trying to say that's a lie. Don't listen to the world. Listen to the truth of Scripture. It's higher. It, it, it's the salmon of the world. It goes against the stream, right? Everybody else goes this way. And I'm telling you, there's a reward for doing it God's way. So it's not like a humble brag thing. It's like, I feel like the Lord said, it's okay to hold it up. And to, to say to people, this is worthy. It's worthy. And it's not a, a slap to anybody who had trouble with it or didn't do it. In our own family. I'm not. But it's like trying to lead something and say, guys, this is admirable in our world that says this is not any longer an admirable thing. It's admirable. And it's worthy. And if you struggle with it, it's not to say, well, too bad for you. It's to say, so if you're looking for this, then can you make it with whatever it's going to be, everything it can be? And if you haven't got married yet, does it give a goal of saying, stay, this is an awesome thing. Did you get it? I mean, the world hits the gap so often telling people the best you can hope for. You're an animal. Sleep with as many people as you can. Use and abuse and take. Get yours and don't worry about anybody else. That's the antichrist spirit in the world today. Love and care for and watch over. And if you are blessed to have this in your life, make it the most you can make it. That's, that's all I'm saying. Does that... And, Okay, so <laughs> so we were talking, like, what makes us us? So much I can credit Chris for in our lives. When I was not the man you see today, my wife always, always to my face, but more importantly, behind my back, always respected me. To my children, she always said the most wonderful things about me. To my mom, my mom could do no wrong because she had me. <laughs> to my mother-in-law, my wife always built me up, always. God, the value of that is what? That while a person forgets or doesn't know who they are, you're calling it out of them. Does that make any sense? So I know I'm in your living room right now. I look around, I can see like, oh, you, you don't know. <laughs> I do know. All right, so fight right. Let me give you four things real quick. How much time? Uh, four things real quick that this is how you fight right. Now, I'd love to tell you, just don't fight but that's, the, Jesus even said, be angry, but 
Sin not with it. Just don't sin with it. You can be angry. Being angry is not a sin. It's what you do with it that can be so dangerous. Okay, so four things, right? Four things. Do these now. Do them when you have the chance. Remember them for another time. One, words matter. Remember what I'm saying. In anger, it is so easy to sin with your words. I wrote, um, <laughs> I, I wrote this down in my, uh, usually in a couple, you have one with a short fuse and one with a slow burn. You know what I mean by that? Short fuse, slow burn. Usually don't meet two slow burners or two short. They usually aren't married very long if you, if you do that. You've, so the opposite Who do you think in our family is short fuse? That is offensive. It's stupid and it's, no. Uh, short fuse, right? It doesn't take much, blow up. Guess how quickly I get over it. Next breath. I don't like it. What do you want to do for dinner? I'm exaggerating a little bit. I'm short fuse. Chris is slow burn. Push, 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 push. Uh-oh. Slow burn. Guess how quick they get over it? Not as quick. <laughs> Listen to me. When you do things that make those things more difficult, like you can cause somebody with a short fuse, words can blow it up so quickly. You can cause somebody with slow burn, words can keep them from getting over it. Words matter. Words are powerful. Proverbs 18:21. the power of the tongue is life and what? Those who love to talk will eat what it produces. Dude, you will get life or death from what you're saying. The problem with it is you say things and you're planting seeds and then when it begins to produce a yield, you look at it and you, what did I say that was so bad? It's not what you said today. It's what you have been saying. What you have been planting. And then what we want to do is I just, I'll pluck it up real quick, but it's a root issue. There's not much change at a whole different level. Words matter. Years ago, I remember demonstrating taking the old, you, the cliche, take the toothpaste and squeeze it out. Now try to put it back in. All it does is make a mess. When you try to put words back that you've already let out, the only thing you can do is put them under the blood of Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? And stop it. Stop it. I have said worthless things to a priceless person. Her problem is not, she's not short fuse, so she is much more controlled. I, bleh. Anybody else? So the scripture says, Peter, if you can control the tongue, woo, you've done an incredible thing. Anybody in here have trouble controlling? Just be honest with me. Seven of us, you lying. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying is true. And that, it is some, when I say you're dying to yourself, one of the things you're dying to is your right to say what you want to say or how you want to say it. And then we're big truth. Well, I'm just telling the truth. It, it's, you're dead right. Right? You're right. But you killed the person that you loved. And then you're trying to resurrect it. Hmm. I want to spend more time there, but I... Uh, time limit. Ephesians 4. Fight right. Time limit. Let me explain this. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Don't sin by letting anger control you. 
Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to who? The devil. This is important because we think that anger is nothing more than me blowing up and then saying I'm sorry. But a lot of times you're opening up an inroad into your life, into your marriage, into a relationship with your children, into your work. Do you hear me right now? So I'm telling you the truth about something. The enemy, he, the enemy is attracted to dead things. He's called the Lord of the flies. Flies love things that are dead. When you speak death, the enemy magnifies over things that are dead. Start speaking life. Get that death out of your mouth. Don't leave it there. The enemy will concentrate. The Lord of the flies, he will concentrate where there's death. Stop it. So this whole thing, don't let the sun go down upon your anger. You should take that literally. You should not be okay laying next to the person that you said, I love you and I will lay my, lay my life down for you. If you can learn to lay down this far from each other and hate the other person, I'm using it liberally right now, hate, and you can learn to lay there next to them and close your eyes and go to sleep Without resolving that anger, let me tell you what you're doing. You are hardening, intentionally hardening your heart towards that person. You do it long enough and you will have a hard enough heart. Your heart, when it's hard, get it hard enough and you are capable of doing things that right now would scare you if I told you you would do them. No woman, no man rolls over in the morning and says, I've had it, I want a divorce. They do that every night for year after year after year without saying it out loud so that when it finally comes out, it's a manifestation of what's been happening in a heart. The heart got hard. Why did it get hard? Because you learn to harden it towards each other. You do whatever it takes to keep your heart soft towards your mate. Look at me. You say, I'm sorry, a thousand times. You lay your life down and you stop it. Why? Why, pastor? They're wrong. Do you want to be wrong? Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be married? married. <laughs> That's good. Listen to what I'm saying. So if it's my, and my biggest goal is I got to be right. Don't get married. Don't do it. Do not do it. But pastor, I'm all about fairness. Huh, don't marry you. <laughs> Yay or nay. So I, I'm trying to have a little fun with this because I know it's, you know, a spoonful of sugar in the medicine, but... Dude, there's a time limit on it. If you can learn night after night, listen to me, being cold towards each other only takes a few bad habits. A few bad habits. Things that you would have never contemplated, you will begin to contemplate. Am I okay? Communication, Proverbs 16, 21. I'm just giving you fight right, these four things. Here's the third one, communication. Proverbs 16, 21. The wise in heart are called discerning. Look at this part. And gracious words promote what? Gracious words promote instruction. I use this when I'm preaching. I carefully choose the words that I write down that I'm going to say to you because I realize certain words stop instruction and certain words increase instruction. Humor can help that. The way you can say anything negatively or positively. Until you read your Bible, you will not grow. The day you start reading your Bible, you're going to grow like you never knew it was possible. Which one do you like? You're like, well, I like to flee nightmares. Then you better read your Bible. (laughs) But if you like to pursue dreams, the day you start reading your Bible, 
You're going to grow. My pastor taught me that. I grew up a legalist. I learned to say things from the negative point of view. Anybody? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Four. Okay, listen to these words. Forgive and let go. Say that with me. Forgive and let go. Luke 11, 4. Jesus is asked, teach us to pray. Look what he includes in the prayer. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Isn't it interesting that in the same place that he puts forgiveness is also the idea of temptation? The enemy is attracted to dead things. Listen to me. Bitterness and unforgiveness is a dead thing. The enemy will concentrate on those areas. I have seen people healed when they gave up bitterness. I have seen relationships come back together when they are willing to forgive. And look at me real quickly. I have seen people live in bondage in their life because they are unwilling to forgive. I taught recently the price of peace is, you get to decide if you'll pay it. The price of peace in a relationship is your willingness to forgive somebody. I want to make it work. Here's the price of making it work. Forgive somebody. It's not worth it. Then you decided that you're not going to pay for peace. Does that make sense? Each one of these is worthy of me spending more time. I just... No. No. My brother's here from out of town. I got dinner tonight. Things are going on. Forgive me, please. (laughs) Ruth Graham, Billy's wife said this, a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Isn't that funny? It's not the union of two people who know how to get along with each other. It's two, two good forgivers. Okay, stay pure. Listen, I'm 12 minutes and 30 seconds over my time. It's 5.32, and I will not be done with this in five minutes. If you got to go, go. I understand. But I'm going to talk about purity here, and I'm not going to rush it to get out of here in the next few minutes. Listen what I'm about to talk about. Most pastors won't dare say what I'm about to say. So the fourth one is stay pure. Job 31.1. Job said these words, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with what? With lust at a young woman. (laughs) My staff greatly pointed out to me when we were praying, does that mean you can look at an older woman with lust? (laughs) Not nice. <laughs> Sometimes I have great doubts about the staff. And <laughs> okay. In 2019, there were 42 billion visits to a site called Pornhub. It's the number one porn site on the web. You don't need to look at anybody. You don't need to acknowledge anything. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. Listen to my statement. 42 billion visits to Pornhub in 2019. Over 30% of those were women. Do the math real quick. This used to be a thing that we would say men are created this way. Now, if you looked at that and you go, okay, 30, so 70, there's a greater propensity, I think, for men to sin with this, but today we live in an area where women sin with this too, and always have. I think it's just more available now. Let me talk. Listen to me real quickly. When I was a kid... 
And I know I'm older now, but let me just, here's how it was. If you saw a Playboy, which was mild compared to today, first of all, it was few and far between. It was some kid who would rip out a picture and then you saw it real quick. And you know what's funny about that? The first time I ever saw one, I was seven years old and I can still remember the picture that I saw. It was 52 years ago. The way that God created it is that pornography in particular, it, it penetrates the brain. It actually works the way that drugs do. And that it hits certain things that the pleasure center in the brain. So can you be addicted to pornography? Which the world says you cannot. Yes, you can. Come. It's impossible. But if you could listen to the conversations that I have. If you could see the marriages that have been destroyed. Not harmed. Destroyed. To see anything more than a playboy, you had to go to a store, a particular store. It was on the top shelf behind a guard so that you couldn't eat. All you could see was the label on the magazine. For those who were old enough, you remember. And to buy it, you had to be 18. You had to show ID. Today, my grandchildren at seven can click their way through pornography that I've never seen in my life. Anything and everything. Look at me real quick. So you live in a world that says this is all normal. It's part of human sexuality. It's part of broken sexuality. It's when we're upside down and we're backwards. And instead of having sexuality that God has given us, which is a gift, every feeling, every emotion... All of it. God created it all. The devil didn't. He didn't invent it. He didn't put it together. He didn't substitute it to take something from us. He put his vileness with it to take God's gift from us. Listen to me. What we deal with today. Oh my goodness. Uh, In my own family. I watched it destroy the esteem that I worked so many years to build in my daughter. That doesn't make a person evil. It makes a person a sinner. And every one of us are sinners saved by grace. It's not judgment in that way, but I'm telling you, even for people under the blood of Jesus... This can mislead you and eat a portion of your life that you would have said, I'll never allow that to happen. We live in a day that says it's a marital aid. Use it in your marriage to excite each other, to enhance your lovemaking, to make it what it's supposed to be. God gave you everything that you need for that. And while it can get broken and we live in a fallen world, you do not need that to make it better. You don't. You do not. I'm not preaching to the choir. I'm trying to tell you truth right now. Don't buy into the lie that the world tells you with this. I'm going to be vulnerable and honest. 
any man in this room, and I think women, can understand. I had a guy one time tell me, I just don't struggle with that. I'm like, dude, you're alive. Can't be true. Now, maybe there's varying. Maybe you've learned to overcome certain things, but God wired you to be visually stimulated. It's why, look, men see you before they hear you. Hmm. I had to remember, when you're teaching on this, you won't get a lot of amens, so be bold with it anyway. Go forward. At YWAM a few years ago, I had spent the week, I took Amy with me, and had spent the week ministering. And dude, they put it on you when you're there. You teach all day long. And I had taught from Monday to Friday, and I finished up in the morning, and we were going to go home uh, the next day. And I was tired. Oh, my goodness, I was so tired having seen God do so much. Don't you know it's at that point when the enemy loves to attack? I went back to my room that night. Amy stayed in the room next to me on the campus at the Go Center. And I open up my iPad, and within seconds, I found myself in a place that if you saw it, I would be embarrassed for you to know. And it might begin, if I go that direction, to disqualify me from leading this church. You hear me? And I was doing it. After I'd spent the entire week ministering on behalf of the Lord. Can you handle this? Some people are like, I just, pastor, you can't struggle with this. Flesh. I'm not going to tell you the story if you're going to act like. Okay, I banged on the wall real quick. Act of desperation. Amy! She came over, Dad, what's wrong, what's wrong? You have to take my iPad. My daughter. You have to take my iPad. Why? I don't want to tell you. You're smart enough to figure it out. You got to take it out of the room. Can't bring it back to me tonight. If you leave it in here, I'm going to sin with it. Can you handle that? Can you? If you're like, you really shouldn't be pastor of the church. Who are you going to pick? Oh, we're going to get somebody that doesn't sin. Jesus is in heaven. He's not. The real win in that is that I asked for help. The loss in it is that most of us do it by ourselves without anybody else aware of it. Mm -hmm. So let me give you three things that I know that it does based on my own experience. It decreases desire, what belongs to your spouse, your giving to something else. You say it has no effect, it harms no one, wrong. It decreases your desire. If you're not married, you may not understand that fully, but you're giving what belongs to someone else to someone else. Three, it desensitizes your heart. Want a hard heart? Go ahead and keep looking at pornography. It will make your heart hard. It will begin to eat away the thing that you know to be true. Your heart will harden if you give yourself over to pornography. I have dealt with men and women whose hearts are so hardened by spending long periods of time with pornography. I don't know what it is. I I don't have the psychology behind it. I just know it will harden your heart. I remember dealing with a man who came in for counseling 
And it was the woman who wanted the counseling. The man just came because she wouldn't leave him alone. Great big dude. She was little tight. It was just oddball looking couple. They sat down. The woman's just crying, pouring her heart out, telling me what's going on. It involves some of what I'm telling you right now. And I realized the man would want to be any place else than right there with me right then. So I just thought, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for six sessions. And then it's not gonna... So I just said to the guy, just look, hey, will you do whatever it takes to save your marriage? He looked at me, he looked at her, and he said, nope, stood up and walked out. No. It hardens your heart. Three, it dehumanizes people. More than anything, this is it. Listen to me. Here's the sin of it. You're my sister. You're my sister. You're my sister. You're my sister. If I see you only as a sexual, valuable thing, I am sinning before God because I don't treat you like you're my sister. I treat you like you're a piece of meat, like you're something created for only my pleasure to look at or to enjoy in a way that God did not intend for. Am I okay saying this? You're sinning against another person when you do that. You just put his innocent pastor, or they, they put themselves in that situation. It's somebody's daughter. It's somebody's granddaughter. The value of that life is beyond estimation because Jesus gave his life. We lose the value of a life when we can look at it and see it only as a sexual object. Stop it. Stop. If you're like, Pastor, you're just too much in my face about it. I can't take it. Ah! So we'd rather drink milk than eat meat. And go back and teach the same milk over and over and over again. A repentance of sin, but never moving beyond it. Move beyond it. Get it out of your life. It's a cancer, man. Stop. Stop, stop, stop. And we struggle. So if you're doing it all by yourself, I can't seem to ever get free. You better get some friends. And I'm not threatening you. I'm telling you the truth. Someone that you can say, man, I'm struggling. Well, I'll tell my wife, don't. Tell your friend. I need help. I need prayer. Someone you could call at any time. Am I okay just talking right? I, oh, well, now that Pastor John's gone way over the edge... No, I don't know. I just know I'll go home and probably feel like, ah, you exposed your heart and shouldn't have done it. Uh, Job 31, I'm going to read this to you. The Holy Spirit showed me this again this week. I hadn't read it for years. Let me just show you real quick how God views lust in our lives. If my heart has been seduced by a woman, or if I have lusted for my neighbor's wife, then let my wife serve. It means to sleep with another man, or let another man sleep with her. That's harsh. Dude, that is so harsh. For lust is a shameful sin, a crime that should be punished. It is a fire that burns all the way to hell. It would wipe out everything that I own. In the book of Proverbs, it says that if you follow down that path, it will leave you nothing but a crumb. So what it actually says, a nothing but a crumb will be left. It will eat you. It will burn you. It will take from you. You want to grow spiritually and yet you dance with Delilah? Stop it. And pastor, that doesn't seem to be very merciful. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He will forgive you. But this is not to be tolerated in a believer's life. 
It is not to be tolerated in a believer's life. Pastor, you just don't get it. Don't I? Don't I? Jake, am I being straight right now? So what's the close? I'm done. I, I f- <laughs> yeah, I know. So I felt like the Lord said, it's not an altar call this week for salvation. Exodus 15, 26. One of the names of God is found in this scripture. I am the Lord who healeth you. Do you know the name of God for the God who heals us? Anybody know? Jehovah Rapha. He's known through different names in the Old Testament. We have one name in the New Testament, Abba Father. But he reveals himself and his character by different things that he did in the Old Testament. I'm the God who heals you. Look at me real quick. I mean no condemnation in any way, shape, or form. I mean no talk down. I mean no ugliness. I mean no, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I do not want you to leave this room bound by a spirit of perversion that keeps you locked into some kind of shameful thing that doesn't allow you to become what God called. Your value is too much to be stuck doing what the enemy has tricked you, misled you, or talked you into. God is merciful, the God who heals you. I speak healing right now. And I speak that God wants to heal you. He doesn't want you to feel bad about this. Feeling bad changes nothing. He wants you to be delivered from this. He wants you to be set free from this. He wants to close this door in your life so that this weapon formed against you no longer can prosper. He doesn't want your marriage taken down. He doesn't want the sin passed down to your children. And he doesn't want you to get caught with something that shames you. Hmm. Lord, be merciful to us. You are the God who heals. You're the God who's more than enough. Could you just close your eyes for a moment, church? I don't know exactly how to how to do this. Um, I get, I totally get. Like, Pastor, you're in an area that I don't, I don't know how to rightly respond to it. I don't know what to, what to do with it. Maybe you're even in a position where to admit it puts you in jeopardy. I, I get it. I really do. I get it. But the truth is the Lord doesn't want, that's, he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants you to be set free. He wants you to leave this room tonight Here's what he told me. The anointing breaks the heavy yoke of bondage. It breaks it into pieces. That thing that, like all sin, it starts out in a particular way and then it sets a trap for you. And the wages of sin is death. That doesn't mean heaven and hell, but it does mean that you'll live in this life with it feeling like hell when it could feel like heaven. And Jesus died to set you free. Whom the Son sets free 
is free. It was for freedom. For freedom's sake that Jesus set you free, the scripture tells us. And maybe you've said a thousand times, oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to do this. And a thousand times you've stumbled. If the righteous person falls a thousand times, a thousand times they must get back up. Because the testimony is not that sin won, it's that Jesus wins. And that you win in him. And I know when I say this, I'm speaking to people who you can't tell anything on the outside. But on the inside, you know. And the Lord doesn't want to leave you in that place. He wants you to be free. And if it's deep enough, then perhaps you'd want to seek out counseling that we offer. And we will help you. When you're stuck and can't get unstuck, ask for help. But sometimes the Lord just sends his word and heals. So if you're sitting here right now and you just go in your heart, I'm not asking you to acknowledge this, but in your heart, you need the Lord to set you free from something. Maybe it's just the guilt and the shame of it. But maybe it's become habitual. Maybe it's something that's eating away at the foundation that the Lord wants for you and has for you. Church is church when we can actually be real and do business. Not simply just become smarter about a subject, but God wants you to be free. So if this is for you, I speak over your life right now, freedom in the name of Jesus. I speak over your life right now that the tentacles of sin, the way that the devil weaves it is to try over and over and over again to weave it so tightly that you can't get free. David said it's like a, we don't use the word, a fowler's trap that you step in and out of and then suddenly one day it closes on your leg and you can't get free from it, it has you. But I'm telling you the one who breaks the trap is here. That the word of the Lord is that he is merciful and he is good and he is the God who heals you, the God who sets you free. So I speak the blood of Jesus over your life right now. And even in February of 2023, I speak over your life freedom right now. I speak over you a different plan than what the world has for you. I speak over you a different call than what the world has for you. I speak over you a different understanding of who you are than what the world says about you. Man, I pray over you order in your identity so you would know your value. Not according to what the world says makes you valuable, but according to what God says makes you valuable. He loves you, made in his image. I speak freedom over you. The lies of the enemy, the hooks of the enemy, the thing that you give yourself over to. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. No more. I say that thing loses its grip and it loses its power.
Sin, where's your sting? And death, where's your victory? You don't have it in this room. Jesus sets free. If you find yourself here visiting tonight and what I'm saying applies to you but you don't know Jesus, the root of all spiritual growth starts in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus died to make you free. He lives to reinforce it. And God loves you. And I speak freedom over you. Freedom. Whom the sun sets free is free. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Look at me real quick. Wait. You say, Pastor, I don't feel anything. I don't need you to feel anything. I need you to embrace truth. Truth. Truth is Jesus makes you free. That's truth. Amen? Amen. Amen. May the Lord reinforce that.